here in this chapter. We are beginning um, a verse which begins, Of this gospel I was made a minister. And at first blush we may think, well, Paul's talking about himself here, and he's giving testimony of what he's doing. Yes, he is. But if we were to look really closely, we would see that Paul is here an arrow that is pointing to Jesus Christ. And he's making that very clear in the way that he presents these verses to us. But for us to understand that, we must begin back at verse 1 and very quickly kind of summarize what has been said up until this point. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, he says that for having preached the doctrine of truth, the apostle was a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner. If you go back to verse into chapter 2, I'm a prisoner because I have preached this gospel. I am a prisoner because my finger has pointed to him. That's why I am a prisoner. So when he says, for this reason, he's thinking back to the reason that he is imprisoned. But he realizes and he points out also clearly that he is the object of special protection and care even while suffering for Jesus Christ. And you might say, really? He's a prisoner. How can he be the object of special care of the Savior and protection even as he is a prisoner? It's because he says this. No man has made me a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for his own purposes. I am a prisoner in this place because it is Jesus Christ who has bound me here that I may make known his glory among the saints. So even as he writes to those believers who are in Ephesus who have a dear place in his heart, he recognizes that it is God's purpose for his imprisonment to do so. And God allows him to do so. For him to be able to do this. It's quite a privilege. As a prisoner to write such things as this. He was not a captive for a crime that he had committed. Or a debt that he owed. Or even a prisoner of war. But a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was a captive in the service of his redeemer alone. All the gracious offers of the gospel and the joyous and the joyful tidings that it contains come from the riches of God's grace. That summarizes all that he is laying the foundation for in verses 1 to 7. It is these great things that he brings out. He brings out that the Spirit works grace into our souls. But specifically, what is he talking about, though, when he says a mystery? Because he begins to talk about this mystery being revealed, and he's going to continue to talk about this mystery. 
Now, we're not accustomed to thinking about mysteries when we think about the scripture because we don't think that the scripture is some great mystery to be unraveled. In fact, we think the scripture is the very opposite, that God has unraveled all the great mysteries to us in his word. He's made these mysteries clear by his creation and his power that is shown in in the creation itself and the great mysteries of his son revealing the nature of the father. Hebrews chapter 1. But Paul says there's been a great mystery that's been revealed to you. And he's speaking in a way that shows you are greatly privileged to understand this mystery. To have this mystery be proclaimed to you. And I am greatly privileged to be able to speak it at this time. So the mystery that is being revealed here. It has only been known by God. And we've seen it kind of shine forth out Side of the corners and the shadows of the words of the prophets. We see that God has been preparing something, but its fullness has not been made known. But now, in the ages and this time, the apostolic message has revealed this mystery that God has for us. And he says it in verses 5 and 6. What does he say there? Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, pause, wait for it, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Brothers and sisters, that's why we're sitting here. Because the good news of the gospel went into all the world and continues to do so. That the good news of the gospel did not stay in Jerusalem. It did not stay amongst the Jews. But Paul was one who was to preach the gospel, the good news, unto the Gentiles. And so that it may continue to go out from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. And he said, this is the mystery that's been revealed. Come in. Come in, you Gentiles who have been outside. You who have been strangers to God's grace, to God's covenants. Come in. We'll talk about that a bit more in a second. But then he gets to verse 7. And he says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. He said, this encapsulates the gospel. This is the goodness of the gospel. That the Gentiles have been brought in. They've been partakers in the promises. In who? In Jesus Christ. And so his arrow continues to point to Jesus Christ in all that he is. He says he's a minister here. But in the original, you know what? He's actually calling himself. He's saying, I am a diakonos. Sound familiar? Deacon. A servant of all. He's placing himself in a very lowly position here. He says, I'm a, I'm a minister in the sense that I am a servant. Not minister in the sense that he's some overseer, although he is as well. So he is a servant of these by God's grace. Because it was given to me. It's not something I Earned. In fact, he calls himself now the least of all the saints. It's not something that he can claim that he has right to do. 
to reveal this mystery. He says it was given to him by God. And it is by his power. In verse 7, as you follow it along here, it says, by the working of his power in the ESV. Literally, though, and it gives some definition to it. It says, by the working of his power. One way you can say it, it's by the power of his power he has done this. By the power of his power. He's lost in words. There is, no, there is no way that he can expound the greatness of his power in any other way but by saying this has been done because of God and his power that exceeds all power that is over any because it is God's power that works this now and reveals this mystery. And so he says this is our call by God and is his provision for it. In verse 8, He says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Those whom God advances to honorable employments, those who God calls to do great and mighty things in the kingdom, he makes low in their own eyes. If you've been called to speak a word, to speak a word about Christ, even to your relative or your neighbor. We speak it in a way that humbles us because we realize when we speak about Jesus Christ, we speak about one who is higher than we are. We speak about, we speak about him in a way because we are We are unworthy of what we have been given. So it is then our responsibility to say, in our unworthiness, I have been made worthy because of him. And it's now my responsibility to say that you can become, you can have this life that I did not deserve. And so that's what Paul is saying here. I am unworthy to preach this message. And though God has given me the privilege of proclaiming it, I'm lowly in my sight. It's not a false humility. This is what the Lord has given him. In his own estimation, he is not worthy. In his own estimation, he is just a signpost. He is just an arrow pointing to the one who deserves all the glory and the spotlight, as we could say it. You know, it's interesting. We've been, um, as a family, at a place called CIT, which stands for Central for Intercultural Training. And World Witness, our missions organization, sends missionaries to a place like this so that they can really think about uh, transitioning to a culture that's not their own. Um, As we can can transition to England, just because they speak English, not the kind of English you and I speak, but just because they speak English doesn't mean that it's the same. It's really not. It's very different. And so it's taking us outside of what we know so that we can be prepared to go into a place like this. And in this class of people, we're not there by ourselves, but there's a number of um, other missionaries going to places all around the globe, all around the globe. And there's a fellow there, there named Becky. Yes, he's a he's a guy, and it's not spelled B-E-C-K-Y. It's spelled B-H-E-K-I. But he's from Eswatini, which I had to look up. So don't think um, ill of yourselves if you had to do that. And he was telling an interesting story about the differences in our culture. If we want to know, like, what the bottom line on something is, like, what are the federal 
regulations? What are the mandates? What is the proper wording for something? We would go to government website, a .gov address. Even for that matter, before we'd stop and ask somebody for directions, we'd trust the road sign more than we would trust the guy that we ask at the 7-Eleven for directions. And he said, not so in Eswatini. We would trust somebody we knew, somebody in our community, far more than we would trust something that was posted on a government website. Who knows, who knows when that's been updated, is what he said. And so he's speaking in this way to understand um, that this relationship that we have to one another, that we are... We are these road signs. We are these arrows pointing to Jesus Christ. And that is our, that is our occupation. That is our life. It's very important. And so to, to consider that as part of who we are and who we are to be is a must. So let me ask you this. Are you a road sign? Are you an arrow? If someone were to stop and ask you for directions, but let's put a little bit of a spiritual connotation. If someone were to ask you for directions, how must I be saved? Is your answer ready? Are you ready to point to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to be the road sign that accurately points them to the cross? Is that, does that have the largest print for you on that sign? Is that the end of the road? If we were to carry this analogy much further, I'm sure there's going to be a breakdown somewhere, but I think you understand where I'm getting at. We are to be arrows pointing people to Jesus Christ. In all that we are, why? Because... Our message is the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That word unsearchable, it kind, of, it kind of misses us. But if we think about it, it's the riches of Jesus Christ are incomprehensible. They're incomparable to anything else. They are exclusive. Exclusively wonderful. And so it is a great mystery that this has been revealed to us. Sadly, though, there are many who have not been enriched with these riches. There are many that we know. There are many in this world who have not taken hold of those riches. How great and how kind is it that God has continued that this message be proclaimed from generation to generation. There have been generations of us who have sat in these places, even in our churches in South Carolina, and yet this gospel continues to be spoken year after year, day after day. It's because the, of the incomparable riches of Jesus Christ that the gospel continues to be spoken so that those who walk in darkness, that they may see a great light. That they may know that these riches, that they have been passing by, that this Jesus Christ, that they have counted less than whatever is the most important thing in their life, that, that they may know even today what they are missing, that they have cast aside the greatest treasure, the greatest, the most incomprehensible wealth, 
that could ever be given them. And it is to be united to Jesus Christ. For his life to be yours, for your sins to be washed away. And have the relationship with the Father. You know, um, if you were here for Sunday school, you heard a little bit of this. But I'm going to reemphasize just a small portion of it. And when we go to England, there's a reason we go to England. It's because there's a need. Well, many of you say, well, if you were having a dialogue, well, there's need everywhere. Why would you go to England? That seems like a less needy place than somewhere else. Well, it's God who calls, not me. And it's God who's called us. And he's called us because he has a particular purpose. But he's calling others to that land because he is continuing to hold out this salvation, the incomparable riches of Jesus Christ to the nations. He continues to hold out his hands and offer. And so he sends out laborers that this would be done. But he sends out laborers because so many in this country, as in England, have forgotten their God. They have forgotten who he is. They have passed by him. They have not received the offer that has been given. Comparing what it would be like to pass by these unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis once said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with the things of the world. Fill in what you want there. He says drink, ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us, what do we do? We, like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in our little slum, We do it because we cannot imagine what is meant by the sincere offer of a holiday at the beach. When we pass by the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, we're like a child who continues to make a mud pie out of filthy sand in the middle of an alleyway when they could be on the beach enjoying what God has made for them. But he continues on in verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. In saying this, Paul said this mystery has brought to light what God's plan for you has been. This mystery, Gentiles, you who have been outside of Christ, apart from from Christ. He's making it clear. In England, the street lamps have grown dim. The light is not very bright right now. We pray that he will continue to turn lights on in the hearts of men and women. But it reminds me of a time during the beginning of the Second World War. 
in reading about what was going on there, there was a time in which uh, the government agencies would actually go and take down the road signs as an anti-invasion tactic so that if they were invaded, they at least wouldn't know how to quickly navigate from one place to another. And so what they did was they took down the signs, they took down the arrows so that it would not be known where to go. And so as churches become high-density housing, as they become mosques, I'll give you an example. The William Carey Memorial Chapel is now a Hindu temple in London. The road signs are being painted out. The road signs that point to the incomparable, unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ are being torn down. We must put them back up in this land and there and across this globe. We must be those who point to Jesus Christ and to his riches. Are we contented to hold a sign pointing to him? That's what Paul says his job is right now. I'm pointing to him. This is what has been hidden throughout all the ages. This is what he has been doing. He reminded us in chapter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him. This mystery has revealed what God in his own perfect counsels has been in his, uh, in his will to do. Since before the foundations of the earth, this has been made known in the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed. In the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what are we to make of it? What are we to do with this now? How do we reconcile this for us in this time? Two things. He's given us the church as his one people. That we would be about this work together. Does he not say that? He says that it has been made known... Not only in the earth, but is made known in the heavenly places. All heaven and hell know that the mystery of God has been revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, the lid has been opened and they shine forth in a light that will not be put out. And he says, all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places know this. But he says, so that through the church, and I'm in verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God may, may now be made known. He's given us this body, these people, as our brothers and sisters, that we walk linked arm in arm together to proclaim this message. And so when missionaries go and when missionaries are sent, we don't go alone. You go with us. You're all welcome to come visit. You just can't all do it at one time. Um, that's because houses are really small. But you go with us. We go together. When you go, so do we go. 
Because we, by the Spirit of the Lord, we praying for and encouraging one another, we have been made into one body. If you don't, if you don't believe or remember this particular truth, he lays it out so clearly in chapter 2 in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, our corporately as the church, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's made us one. There is no longer Jew and Gentile, but in Christ there is one in his own body. There is one. So many of us have thought through the last century of different theologies that have tried to divide what God is doing in the world between Jew and Gentiles. But I say very clearly, it's here in the scriptures that Jesus Christ has made us one in his own body. He has divided this wall of hostility. He has taken away those who were once aliens and strangers and brought them into his own fold because he is the great shepherd of the sheep and that's what he does. And so when we go, we go together. When we work, we, go, we, we work together. When we speak and we preach the gospel, we preach it together because we are united in him. And once united in his hand, we will never be shaken. We will never be taken out, according to John 10. And so at last, he says, we have the church as one. And secondly, he says, take heart. Knowing all of these things and knowing that even if you suffer, you suffer because of Jesus Christ. And even if you suffer, you suffer together. And when you suffer it is for the glory of God. And you say, oh, that's, how, how, do we, how do we reconcile that? Because we recognize that his perfect divine purposes and his will is being done. That we are his instruments. And that he will one day bring us to where he is. And there we will always and that he will one day say to us, those who have been his servants, those who have been, those who have known the way of the cross, because as Jesus suffered in the cross and we were, we were affiliated, we were known by the cross, we were also, we've seen his suffering and we've been connected to his suffering. We've also been connected to his blessings. And in his blessings we have been made known. And that's why in his blessing he will say to us face to face. Enter into my rest. And well done you good and faithful servant. So he says take heart. This time is passing away. But there is one who is seated at the right hand of the father in heaven. Who is interceding for you even now. And he will not vacate that seat. And he will not cease to intercede for you. Take heart. For the unsearchable. The incomprehensible. Treasure. Of the love of God. Is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And it has been opened unto you.
You are co-heirs with Christ. His inheritance is our inheritance together. Take heart. That is how he leaves this section of his letter. And this is what the Lord would have for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it is. And Lord, we pray that this word, as it is promised to go forward, to not return void. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be encouraged by it. We pray as your children that we would take heart and we would consider the mighty inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. And we would be well his arrows and his signs pointing to him and him alone. For it is in his name that we pray.